This morning we're talking about money. Money is powerful. That's the title. You may have heard it said before that money talks. Usually this comment is made when somebody who has money seems to have influence or maybe more influence than others. You may have heard money talks in reference to discussions about politics. Sometimes people with money have an ability to advocate, to lobby for policies that benefit them. Money talks. Or maybe you felt that way at work when a large contract was handled differently because of fear of losing the client and the company didn't want to lose the contract. Money talks. Or maybe in the context of a nonprofit or maybe even in the church, it just seemed at certain points like wealthier people had a louder voice. That's what it means that money talks. But you could also think of that not just in the dark side where it's too much influence and too much power, but you could also think about money talking in other ways. For example, when Watergate was blown wide open, a reporter was told by a source, follow the money. Money talks. Or maybe a better, more positive example would be when Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money talks. It says something about what we value. How we handle money tells us how we think about risk. It identifies our priorities, and money reveals what we like. We spend money on the things that we enjoy. It's a a window, if you will, into our lives, and how you think about money, what you do about money, and how you talk about money says something. Money talks. And it's one of the reasons that the Bible says so much about money. A few stats. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money. It has, the Bible has twice as many verses about money than prayer and faith combined. Nearly 25% of Jesus' words in the New Testament address biblical stewardship. So all of that to say the Bible talks about money a lot in the book of Proverbs is no different. Now, we're in the middle of a nine-week series on the book of Proverbs. This is week three, and hopefully you remember that there was a, um, this is week four, sorry, of our, uh, our journey together. And hopefully you remember that uh, Proverbs, as a book, contains particular pithy statements that are memorable and the kind of truths that could cause us to go, hmm, That's really helpful. I need to remember that. They're practical. They're important. They're the kind of things that help to guide you as you apply truth in the world. Now, this is gonna be my last message on Proverbs. During the month of July, we'll be having other staff pastors who are gonna be delivering God's word. I'm taking a few weeks vacation and additionally doing some planning for the fall and then also helping our staff to think through our regathering efforts from June where we're praying together, July we're practicing together and then phasing together in August, beginning August the 9th. So we're talking about money and let me just get something off the table right away. I'm not talking about money today because there's a problem with money or somehow our church is struggling. I'm talking about money because Proverbs talks about money. 
In, in fact, as a church, just to let you know, in terms of just how we're doing, your continued generosity has been unbelievable. Through your contributions, our ability to use the PPP money, and our emergency spending reductions, we've been able not only to hit our weekly budget targets, but also to give away over $200,000 to meet compelling and urgent needs in our community and around the world. And our elders and pastors are playing kind of the long game here in regards to our financial future and realizing that things are still really uncertain. So we're taking additional measures to plan, prepare, and to economize. So thank you for your generosity. I'm not preaching this message today because we're behind on budget. So today instead, we're gonna talk about three ways that Proverbs cautions us about how we use our money. So three ways that we need to use our money in a way that fits with the tone and the tenor of the Bible. And those three words would be to use our money carefully, to use it justly, and to use it generously. So to use it carefully, to use it justly, and to use it generously. Now I'm gonna be going all over the book of Proverbs. I'll give you the references. You can go ahead and try and keep pace. I am gonna have a number of verses that are gonna be uh, flashing up on the screen throughout this message because there is no singular chapter in the book of Proverbs that talks only about money. There are verses sprinkled throughout the book of Proverbs beginning in chapter 10 all the way to chapter 31. So let's begin. Number one, carefully. We need to start to realize here that the Bible calls us to a stewardship of money that we treat it seriously and with care. The Bible exhorts us to think carefully and to act wisely with how we handle our money. And the Bible shows us in the book of Proverbs many different angles of how powerful money can be and therefore it needs to be handled carefully. In the first case we see that the Bible tells us that we need to handle our money carefully in that we need to remember that money isn't everything and that it can be easily trusted. It can become an idol. It can become something we place our confidence and our hope in. Here's Proverbs 11 and verse four. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Here's another one, Proverbs 11:28. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. So what is Solomon saying here? He's saying that we need to be careful because money can make us feel more secure than we really are. Maybe you remember at the beginning of COVID when the stock market just took an enormous dive and we watched the precipitous decline of, of the Dow Jones industrial average and in a period of what was it, four or five days, the market lost all of its value of the last three years combined. It's just a reminder that money makes us feel more secure than what we should actually feel. Now, the reason that money makes us feel secure, this is really important, is because, and I've said this before, money gives us options. It allows us to do things, to solve problems, and the more money you have, the more opportunity you have to solve the problem. It allows us, additionally, to create, to create solutions. Money is a resource that can be used to secure things or to build something, and money, if invested properly, can even grow on its own. And 
in that respect, money can actually be a good thing. Money in and of itself isn't bad. It's a part of God's created order. But money can become something that turns inward and can become an idol. And the reason it can become an idol is that money makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel like you're in control. Just think, for instance, of the last new thing that you purchased and how when you bought that thing, that thing wasn't just an opportunity to meet a need or to solve a problem, but that thing that you bought, it got somehow even kind of inside of your soul like, yeah, I got this new phone or my car or my house or a new outfit or a new watch, whatever it is, we often attach something more to the things that we purchase because of what we think those things say about us. That's always been the case for human beings. Money can make you feel important. Money can make people treat you differently. They can treat you deferentially because you're loaded or because they want a big tip or because they want to be in line of all the people who are benefiting from whatever it is that you're doing with your money. So if you're careful, money can get into your head and your heart. If you have a lot of money, you can replace things that are broken. It can give you a sense of security. It can make you proud. It can. Here's what Proverbs says in Proverbs 28 and verse 11. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. So what can happen is that money can put you in a position where you begin to forget that what I have is a gift from the Lord, and you begin to think, look what I did. Look at my stuff. Look at my money. Look at my portfolio. Look at my options. It can put you in a place where you've forgotten that your ultimate hope is really on God. It can be that there was a day in your life when you didn't have a lot of money and therefore you needed to pray and trust God and ask him for his supply. But if you have a lot of money, it's a lot easier to trust in the provision of what you already have and you may not know the grace of the gap when you sense I don't have what I need in order to meet this need. Paul says this in 1 Timothy chapter six, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So here the Apostle Paul says that God provides everything. And maybe while you're watching this uh, live stream recorded service that you can hear the rain coming down in this very moment. A, a big thunderstorm has just come on top of the building and God's providing rain now to the uh, area in which our church is located. And God provides not only the grace of rain but also the grace of financial resources. But it's easy when you have stuff to think, I don't need God's help, I don't need his care. You may have heard it said before that there are no farmers that are atheists. And the reason is, is they know they can't control the weather. They need God's help. When it comes to our wealth and our riches, we need to be careful. The second thing related to the care, as it relates to our money, is that our character is connected to our use of money. And so Proverb 
Proverbs warn us about how we get our money and how we handle our money and what it says about our character and our integrity. Here's three verses, Proverbs 12 and verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. Proverbs 12, 11. Next, an inheritance gained hastily in the beginning will not be blessed in the end. Proverbs 20, 21. And then also, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Proverbs 28, 20. So the fact of the matter is, is that how you handle your money tells you a little bit about your own character. And Proverbs warns here that if you live long enough, you're gonna be offered opportunities that sound too good to be true. You know, having been a pastor for a number of years, I've seen it happen where people followed get-rich-quick schemes, and you know, sometimes those things actually turn out, but most of the time, I've seen it that people and families are devastated by bad choices because this, this, they thought this was the big one, and Proverbs helps us to see the need to be careful. Speaking of being careful, here's another verse, Proverbs 22, seven. It cautions about debt. It says the borrower, borrower is the slave of the lender. Now sometimes I've heard this verse used to sort of create a biblical principle that all debt always is always bad. And I would say to you, I don't simply think that's the case. But yet there's a warning here, and the warning is this, that the one who borrows has obligations to the one who lends. So you borrow something, you have a priority to pay back the one from whom you've borrowed that money. And so not all debt is necessarily bad, but debt can be dangerous, so you need to be careful. But here's what I know. I know that there are far too many Christians who are way over their heads in debt. And I'm not talking about debt that's over an appreciated asset, something that's growing in value. I mean massive credit card debt or things that they've purchased that are simply um, racking up month after month after month of interest. And far too many Christians are living in an environment that's putting pressure on their lives on their marriages, on their relationships, their giving. The fact of the matter is people with that level of debt, they don't live in freedom, they actually live in fear. They wonder, how am I gonna pay these bills? And you know, part of the nature of this pandemic is that may have actually revealed to you how much your indebtedness actually is controlling your emotions. Maybe when you hear Proverbs 22, seven, you're like, yeah, I feel that right now. I feel constrained because you're learning kind of the hard way that it's easy to get into debt, but man, it's really hard to get out. You know, we got some people in our church who would love to help you. We have some financial counselors who can give you a pathway. It won't be easy, but they can help you. We'd love to be a part of that solution. And I also want you to know that as a church, like I'm really thankful because, you know, our financial position right now and our flexibility and our freedom is largely due not only to your generosity, but also the fact that this church has no debt. We have a little mortgage connected to Greenwood and that church plant down there, but as a, as a church ministry, we made the decision years ago to pay down our debt, to pay off this building, and that was challenging and it was hard to do, but I'm thankful that we did, because I know other churches in this very moment 
that have millions and millions of dollars of debt on their facilities, and it creates a big challenge. So why do I say all of this? I say all of this so that you will think about what it means to be careful with your money. Be careful how you handle money. Be careful how you think about money. Be careful if money begins to control you and if you start to feel like you love your money or you love the things that your money does. When Savannah was pretty young, I don't remember how old she was, and I've told this story before. I asked her permission to tell you it again today. When she was pretty young, we had given her allowance, and she wanted to buy some Polly Pockets. She just loved Polly Pockets. And so we took her to the store after she had done all of these chores, earned all of this money, saved it up in a little bank of some kind, and she saw Polly there on the store shelf at like a Target or something like that. She purchased the Polly Pocket. We took it to the register. We paid for it. She brought it home. She unwrapped it, and she began playing with it. And after a little while, I noticed that she had this kind of look on her face. And I said, Savannah, what's the matter? And she goes, I don't, I don't know if I like Polly Pockets. And I said, why? What do you mean you don't like Polly Pockets? What's wrong? And she said this to me as a really young child. She said, I miss my money. <laughs> I miss my money. And when she said that, Polly had lost its pizzazz. I get it, but I can relate to how many times, not about Polly Pockets, but about something else that I thought, I miss my money. And what is it about money that creates that kind of affection? That's why the book of Proverbs says, be careful. So handle our money carefully. Here's the second thing. We need to handle our money justly. Money is powerful. It needs to be handled carefully. It needs to be handled justly. Now, some of you might be surprised that the Bible, especially Proverbs, has quite a bit to say about how money can be used in a way that is unfair. Money can create and entrench the marginalization of people. That's been true since the very beginning of time. Frankly, this idea of money being used in a way that is unfair shouldn't be all that surprising because money is something that can be used to say something about myself and it also can be used in a way that is hurtful or neglectful to others. Money is an expression of self-centeredness at times. And so money can be used to prop someone up, it can be used to push someone down. Money can be gained unjustly, and money can be used unjustly. Now, I realize that some of you, just by saying the word just or justice, you just sat up in your chair, and I know what's happening in the context of our culture, and let me just put you at ease. I'm not talking about some sort of social justice agenda or social justice movement. And for those of you not aware what social justice is in that respect, it's been this historical movement that in some Churches represented the replacement of the gospel with a concern about things like poverty or justice in the community, and it, it, it eclipsed the gospel. It took over. Changing society for those churches became more important than telling people about their need of a savior or their sin. But here's the thing. The book of Proverbs talks about justice, and the Bible talks about justice all over the place. And in fact, one of the reasons that we started Brookside back in 2008 was this desire 
to realize that as a church, we wanna speak into issues like generational poverty and unemployment and unsafe housing and educational disparities and be a part of living out the great commission by also expressing the great commandment. So biblical justice, however you want to, whatever word you want to use, is all throughout the Bible and in, in regards even to the conversation that's happening presently in our culture, could I just offer to you a caution? I know in my own experience, I found that as I came to this subject, my information about the category of justice was in many cases more informed by the political party that I was identified or my upbringing or the books that I had read previously. And for some reason in my upbringing, I didn't fully understand what the book of Isaiah or Amos or Proverbs said about this particular issue. A couple, last week, I talked about sexual ethics, and the fact of the matter is, is that we learn our sexual ethics from somewhere. Like, everyone's gonna learn about sexual ethics somehow or some way. I think that the Bible should help inform how we think about sexual ethics, and whether that's individually or whether it's collectively, whether that's what you think about sexual ethics or what the church thinks about sexual ethics. And in the same way, I think that the Bible speaks and should help us understand what we mean by justice. When I candidated here in 2008, when I was doing some question and answer session, my goodness, I think we had 14 of those things, I mentioned that so often, and this is part of the reason why my family got involved in foster care back in Michigan, we point to Isaiah chapter one and we love the verse that says, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be white as snow. We love that verse, but we forget the sins that Isaiah is talking about. And those sins, in verses 16 and 17, sound like this. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So the Bible is full of concern for justice, and whether that's foster care, or whether that's economic disparities, or whether it's things like the Neighborhood Christian Legal Clinic and what they're dealing with, or even as it relates to racial reconciliation and justice. This is an issue in some way or in some form the Bible speaks into as a category of justice. So what, is the Pro what does Proverbs say about money and justice? Let me give you a few examples. Proverbs chapter 10 and verse two. It says, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. Another one, Proverbs 16 and verse eight, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. Verse 19, better is a poor person who walks in his integrity than one who is crooked in his speech and a fool. So here's what can happen, and this is what has happened historically with the human race, that money can create an ends sort of justifying the means mentality. Sometimes that money is earned fairly. At other times, there are ways to game the system. There are ways to take advantage of people. And that was true in the Bible times. Just look at the book of Amos. It's true in the history of our own country, and that's certainly still true in different locations and spots and dynamics within our own society. We may not agree as to where that exactly happens, but the fact is, as a category, the Bible speaks into that. There can be a mindset where people operate under this philosophy. Well, that's just business, or that's the survival of the fittest when it comes to economics. 
And if we're honest, it's just unfair or maybe even unjust. So Proverbs warns about somehow mingling your money with the concept of injustice. It also warns that money can be used to treat the poor unfairly, where money, by giving certain people power, now creates options, and when you have the best options, those options aren't accessible to people without money. Let me show you this in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 22, 16. Whoever oppresses the poor to increase his wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Proverbs 22, 16. Another one, Proverbs 22, 22. Do not rob the poor because he is poor. And notice this one. Or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. So what do these texts tell us? These texts tell us that sometimes the poor can actually be used as a means of acquiring wealth. And I trust that you know that in some ways, in some spaces, like that still happens today. That's not just a cultural issue, that's a human issue. And in fact, if you were to take a survey of American history, surely you know that the grievous connection exists between slavery and financial gain. No one was poorer than a slave. And then that continued through the Civil War and even beyond the 13th Amendment. It was part of the reason for Jim Crow laws and it was an important concern in the context of the Civil Rights Movement. Now listen, I know, I know, I know there's a complicated discussion, a heated discussion right now about all of this and my aim here is not to exegete that problem fully. I merely want for you to realize that the Bible talks about the oppression of poor people. I'm not talking about espousing critical race theory. I'm not talking about embracing some ideology that's contra to the scriptures, but I am saying that the words justice and oppression were Bible words long before they were anyone else's words. And sometimes money has been directly involved. So the text also says, gives a caution about warning regarding the afflicting of people, the rather crushing the afflicted at the gate. What does it mean, the gate? Well, the gate was the place where the city elders dwelt. It was the place where decisions were made. It's where people had their cases heard. Dwayne Garrett, an Old Testament scholar, says this. Here, the text warns the powerful not to use legal devices to exploit the poor, lest they find themselves arraigned before a much higher judge. And so what he's saying here is that human beings are notorious for using legal means to preserve their wealth or their positions. Listen, the same could be said for abortion. I mean, an unborn baby has no voice. An unborn baby has no financial power. And you have to wonder, how many unborn children were killed out of a sense of financial expediency? I think when the history of our nation is told that among all the ills that we'll be held accountable for, it is that our lust for money created problems from the womb to the tomb with all kinds of people 
from all kinds of walks of life. And I think the Bible speaks into these categories with helpful clarity. It doesn't give all the solutions. There can be a great debate about how do you fix it, what do you do, et cetera, et cetera. My point is that Proverbs simply makes the case that we need to use our money carefully and we need to use it justly because money is powerful and it can be used unwisely and money also can be used unjustly. All right, third, let's move to a more positive subject, shall we? Generously. At this point in time, you may be thanking me that I'm talking to you about giving. (laughs) However, I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here because for most of us, the issue here, if we're honest, isn't understanding the need for generosity, it's, it's embracing the practice of it. We, we don't, just to be blunt, we don't have a knowledge problem about our need to give, we have a desire problem. We don't want to, because we like our money. And one of the ways that we give, and the ways that we're generous, and one of the ways that it's helpful is by releasing our financial resources because it says, I value giving more than I value what this thing would give me. So, Proverbs is filled with exhortations. Look at Proverbs eleven twenty four. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the, him who's, uh, on the head of him who sells it. And then Proverbs 19, 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. So what's the text saying here? It's saying that generosity is blessed and honored by the Lord. Here's a couple more from Proverbs 22, verse nine. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Proverbs 28, 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know what poverty will come upon him. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. You see the point? The point is, is that the people who understand God's favor, that they understand God's generosity, they know what they have been given. They know how God has cared for them. They know how incredibly kind God has been towards them are the kind of people that ought to reflect the graciousness of God in how they handle their resources and how they carefully steward what's a gift to them from God, how they handle it in a way that produces life and help and justice, not injustice, not marginalization, and a people who are generous in their posture towards the needs that are around them. It's so easy, church, to give out of someone else's checkbook. We see a need and we think, man, somebody ought to meet that need. Maybe a wealthy person could meet that need. And the fact of the matter is, is we have resources that could be able to meet that need. Throughout the history of the church, money has simply been a reflection of the church's understanding of how it lives out the gospel. That Jesus became poor so that you and I might become rich. That God in his mercy has given us all things in Christ and therefore, Money becomes a powerful means when we release it to actually see the grace of God in our lives and in the lives of other people. To see people flourish, to see the gospel advance, and to see the world take note of my goodness, how these people cared for one another. Do you see how money talks? 
Do you see that how we handle our money says something about us? Can I just ask you, what does your money say about you? If your checkbook could speak, what would it say? When you think about money, do you use it carefully? Do you use your money justly? Do you give your money generously? College Park, one of our values is extravagant grace, and this church has a phenomenal track record of generous people. And that generosity matters through every season of life, but it especially platforms the gospel when in the midst of a hard season with pandemics and social concerns and all of the things that are in the milieu of today's culture, for the church to step into that kind of moment and say, we're people who have been graced by Christ, we're people who have experienced the love of Jesus, we are people who know that everything we have is a gift, and therefore we're gonna take our money because of who Jesus is, we're gonna use it carefully, we're gonna use it justly, and we're gonna use it generously. And so my charge to you would be that I hope your money, if it talks, could say grace. That if your money could speak, if your checkbook could be seen, if your generosity were known, that it would say, this is an evidence of God's grace. Because money not only talks, but money is powerful. Powerful for good, powerful for evil, powerful to say something about God's grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so abundantly blessed with resources that, Lord, sometimes from our standpoint, we become so used to that we don't even have a global perspective. Or because of our upbringing, because of what we've experienced, our sort of have just blinders on to the needs that are around us. So would you, would you give us a mindset, a heart that sees broadly, that thinks through the lens of the gospel and looks for ways for our money to platform the power of who you are, Jesus. So, Lord, be exalted through everything. Be exalted, we pray, through our use of financial resources. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.